Beatles and Sullivan. First appearance. Never forget the seventh. Oh, fuck me. Three, two, one. Untitled Beatles podcast. Well, it was poetic and then pathetic. Cream Magazine says intro more like a no-tro. <laughs> I was going to make one of my classic February 7th jokes, TJ, but I thought better of it. Mid-slate. You can't spell February 7th without January 6th. And speaking of hostages... <laughs> wake up, TJ. It's the Untitled Beatles podcast. Well, today, TJ, we're going to be talking about the Beatles' first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show. It's the 60th anniversary, man. February 9th, yeah. It's 60 years since the Beatles appeared on what my understanding as a young guy is that generation's kind of Pat Robertson, The Ed Sullivan Show. <laughs> Ed Sullivan. Yeah, now before we get into all that, let's do a little housekeeping, TJ. It got a little dusty in here, so let's... Get our dusters out. Bring in Alice. Early to rise. Not Linda Levin, <laughs> but Anne Davis. Uh, yeah, feel free to like and subscribe. You know, we're on all the platforms, so that helps us out. If you've got time, write a kind review. That also helps us out. We do have a Patreon. The good reviews make us so happy. Sorry, we'll get to Patreon in a second, Tony. The good reviews make us so happy, and the bad reviews we get angry about. We <laughs> mock the writer, and then we delete. So send us, put a good review in. It makes our otherwise miserable days very sunny and happy in this brutal Chicago winter, where it's negative five as we record this right yeah. now. We've gotten some nice reviews. Thank you. It really does make a difference. If it sounds like we're pandering, we are. Yes. And you can pander us uh, monetarily if you so desire at the uh, Patreon, untitledbeatlespodcast.com, where you can find all this stuff. Uh, yeah. And if you join our Patreon, you get to join our Discord. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of great discussions going on there. In fact, some people were talking about our Denny Lane episode recently and offered uh, some great suggestions. More dead wings. More <laughs> dead wings. Thursdays on NBC. <laughs> Yeah, one of our members, Nowhere Doug, suggested in our episode ideas category, where you can suggest episode ideas, of us doing a whole episode about the Denny Lane album Holly Days from 77. Yeah, man, I gave it a spin. I I wasn't familiar with it, so I, I quite liked it. It's like lo-fi, you know, homespun Buddy Holly covers done by, like, Paul McCartney. Kind of sounds McCartney 2E, if you like that. Yeah, McCartney 2E is the fifth version of McCartney 2. <laughs> And it's just four blocks south of M McCartney Jarvis. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jarvis is next. In the direction of travel, doors open on the left at Jarvis. Upon arrival in Howard, this train will be going out of service. Everyone must take their belongings and exit this train. Once again, this train will go out of service. Everyone must take their belongings, exit this train, and have a great day. Well, as promised, TJ, 
We're talking about the uh, Beatles' Ed Sullivan first appearance. Should we get into the background? Yes. I mean, beginning with Ed Sullivan, that show, and I consulted one of my favorite books from middle school until the early 2000s. Did you ever read this? The Complete Directory to Primetime Network and Cable TV Shows. They have a ton of different volumes. There's one or two after this, but it's every TV show from 1946. This one's the early 2000s. And it gives you info and blurbs on the times and ev- of every show. The Ed Sullivan Show began June 20th of 1948 oh, and man. ran j- till June 6th of 1971, exclusively on Sunday nights. The time switched between 9, 9.30 and then eventually 8 o'clock uh, Eastern. But yeah, this at the time when there were just three networks was the most watched Sunday night show for almost the entirety of the run. It was, we forget how historic beyond just the Beatles, the Ed Sullivan show was in the landscape of early American television. Yeah, man. It was huge. Yeah. It was a monoculture for sure. Is that what it's called? Monoculture. Yeah. Monoculture. Monoculture. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, man. So this is the hugest show. Everyone's sitting down to watch it. It's the closest thing now is football. It's a collective activity. We're all experiencing this. You know, what's amazing is Ed Sullivan, while he's been off the air since 71 and died shortly thereafter, he died in the mid 70s. Um, but Ed Sullivan is forever memorialized in a, a, a one of the big songs in the musical Bye Bye Birdie mm. uh, called Him for a Sunday Night, kind of gently mocking lovingly how everybody sits around to watch Ed Sullivan. Then, of course, the character Comrade Birdie, modeled after Elvis, performs on the Ed Sullivan show. But yeah, it's a big number called Him for a Sunday Evening, and it goes like this. Yeah, Tony, I mean, that just shows you there's not a lot of musicals that have entire songs about primetime television shows. It's trite now, but it shows you just how ubiquitous Ed Sullivan was back in the day. Ed, I love you. So Brian Epstein's been trying to get him on this show. And he had a a talent agent, Peter Pritchard, invited Jack Babb, the talent booker from Sullivan, out to the UK. He caught two Beatles shows. Didn't think they were going to go over in the US. Cut to Halloween, 1963. Ed Sullivan's at a layover at Heathrow Airport in London. And he sees a crowd of 1,500 screaming Beatles fans waiting for the Beatles to return from Sweden. And he's basically like, get me that band. Oh, they're fair, but I mean, it's their haircuts and the clothes they set in the fashion. Would you like to grow up to be a Beatle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think they're the best there's ever been? Oh, yes, definitely. Did you have any other pop star you liked before them? No. But well, what's so special yeah. about them that makes you come out here on such a horrible day? Well, they're just, uh, they're great. They're, um, it sounds different. Well, it was before the Africans came out. And so, yeah, Epstein flies out to New York in November. They made a deal at the Hotel Delmonico. This is the same hotel where, like, later on that uh, that following year, Beatles and Dylan would smoke pot. 
Get all kooky. That's right. <laughs> and then Ringo spent a lot of time, Del Monaco, of Monaco in the 70s, <laughs> yeah. partying his ass off. Shaving his eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that new Hitler Youth guy? Don't worry, it's Ringo. <laughs> you say you know me. You really know me. But you don't know me at all. TJ, famous residents of the Hotel Delmonico include Lucille Ball, Ronnie Spector, Matt Lauer, Rupert Murdoch, Jared Kushner. Stop it. Michael Cohen. Stop it. <laughs> terrible people. <laughs> Oddly enough, the worst of them was America hater Lucille Ball. We got more on that next. You love Lucy, you're out. You're watching Fox and Friends. So the deal was for three shows, two live, one taped. They got paid $2,400 for this deal, roughly $17,000 in today's money. And Tony, one show was taped, two were live, and that's when the Beatles eventually became known in Sullivan quarters as, as the two live four crew. I want to move so <laughs> The two live for prime time <laughs> players <laughs> crew. <laughs> well, I don't have to tell you, TJ, but Capital finally starts promoting the Beatles after uh, little Marsha Albert in Silver Spring, Maryland wanted to hear, I want to hold your hand, uh, WWDC. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on the air in the United States, here are the Beatles singing, I want to hold your hand. <laughs> So Feb 7, the Beatles arrive. There are rumors around that this is Britain's revenge for the Boston Tea Party. 3,000 screaming teenagers are at New York's Kennedy Airport to greet, you guessed it, the Beatles. It's a whole moment. They do the press conference. There's a question here. Question. Go ahead. Thank you. Don't worry, Decatur. Cut that crap out. Cut that crap out. Crap out. Don't worry. Uh, the next day, February 8th, they do re rehearsals without George, who had some strep throat. One beetle bedded with a sore throat. Three of the quartet take an airing in Central Park. There was absolutely no truth to the rumor that the zoo's laughing hyena was driven underground. And then the big day, man. Sunday, February 9th, 1964. 8 p.m. Eastern, like you were saying, TJ. Yep. 7 o'clock Central and uh, and Mountain, if you And will. Mountain, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Mountain um, people. <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to call them that anymore. <laughs> so play me some mountain people like grandma and grandpa used to play Alabama. Don't ask why I know it. And don't even get me started on the Bellamy brothers. Tony, 73 million people watched this at the time. It was the most watched event in television history. Um, that record was formally broken when 105 million people tuned into the final episode of MASH. Whoa. Just for some context, the police pursuit of O.J. Simpson slash game, I think, four or Rockets Knicks. I remember watching O.J. in the corner <laughs> and the NBA finals going on at the time. That got 90 million. But the first show to huh. break the Beatles record was what? Do you know this? Uh I'm going to, was it Tiny Tim getting married on Johnny Carson? You are very close. It was the still discussed 1984 episode of Webster where the apartment catches fire. 73.0000001 million people caught Emmanuel Lewis with his science kit ruining their home. Don't 
Everybody's dying. Come on, come on, Webb, let's go. Come on, Catherine. I bought that for a minute. <laughs> so who was it? Was it, did Tiny Tim get more people or no? I don't fucking know. I just know MASH and OJ beat oh. it. <laughs> and the, the moon landing. And if you look, the highest rated episodes in TV history are all Super Bowls. It's like, and listen, yeah. I, I love my bears. I, I used to love the NFL a little more than I do. I am watching some playoff games, but I've been a little NFL funny since the Kaepernick thing and all the CTE stuff really came out. I've just been a little NFL queasy as my 40s have progressed. Okay. But it's kind of crazy that the biggest, uh, the only thing we watch as a as a world anymore as a community is the Super Bowl. It's wild. Yeah, and probably not even that many people, right? Last year is it up to seventy three? Tony, last year's Super Bowl, the twenty twenty three Super Bowl had I think over one hundred and thirteen million viewers. Oh, I had no idea. Okay. Yeah, it's wild. They've all blown past Sullivan. Now, some of that's the, the how much the population's increased. But one of the things they always say, Tony, before we get into the actual episode and the Beatles' performances is, you know, this was what, six weeks or eight weeks after Kennedy was killed when the Beatles came on Sullivan? And yeah. I mean, I, I grew Morning. up- yeah. Yeah, I, I grew up with a family who loved JFK, and my mom had a lot of books on him, so I learned about JFK very young. I mean, I think whether you love the Kennedys or not, the assassination of Kennedy and the way he was killed and the way the news was broken, um, that was just one of the more crushing events in American history, maybe the biggest outside of Martin Luther King and then, of course, 9-11, but the country needed to heal. That was the holidays of 63 were just destroyed in America. All of a sudden you get through a cold January in most of the country and boom, just at the end of the first week of February, the Beatles are on Ed Sullivan. When we tell the story, the 73 million people who tuned in, whether or not there was a national hangover after Kennedy's assassination, that can be debated. But the Beatles reinvigorated not just rock music, but America that night on Ed Sullivan. It's one of the most historic television performances in the history of the medium. 60 years later. Yeah, man. Yeah. And just to think how many bands were spawned just by seeing this. You know what I mean? Shitty ones. <laughs> <laughs> Great ones, too. <laughs> but think how many bad bands are like, we can do this. Yeah, man. Well, there were 50,000 ticket requests, and Richard Nixon's daughters were there in attendance. Richard Nixon's daughters, Julie and Trisha. We were invited by Jack Parr's daughter, Randy. FYI. <laughs> Do you love, this may not make the show, but some on the right are trying to remake Nixon as a hero. Have you been, I, I read a think piece on this that like, right. they're trying to rehabilitate Nixon. It wasn't so bad. Look what Nixon was trying to do. What do you think if John Lennon were alive today, he would say about the rehabilitation of Nixon's reputation? Well, he'd probably be getting Elephant's memory back together for the big reunion. <laughs> and then, All right, Bronstein, <laughs> throw that ventilator off and play the sex. 
And then he's going to do what you two did for Helter Skelter to woman is the mm, of the world. <laughs> I wrote this song and <laughs> Lefty Culture stole this song from me. I'm stealing it back. Here to steal it back from Dave Chappelle. <laughs> yeah, Dave Chappelle on saxophone. <laughs> Yeah, can you imagine? And if John Lennon had lived, the thing that would concern me the most is the new John Lennon album would be available for free and everybody who owns a Zune. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. He would get the Magic Alex back to come up with his own music app that you can only listen to in your pants or something. <laughs> a Magic Alex. It's on the, on the flush handle. This is for the girls. <laughs> Yeah, it's a belt that is also an audio streamer. <laughs> Hello, I'm Alexis uh, from Apple Electronics. Uh, I would like to say hello to all my brothers around the world and uh, to all the girls around the world and to all the electronic people around the world. TJ, as you know, the show is brought to you by Anison and Pillsbury. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, live from New York, The Ed Sullivan Show. Yeah, it just starts right off the show. The curtain rises, Ed Sullivan comes out. And now, here he is, Ed Sullivan. Thank you, Greg. He mentions that Elvis and the Colonel are wishing the Beatles well via telegram. You know, something very nice happened, and the Beatles got a great kick out of it. We just received a wire, they did, from Elvis Presley and Colonel Tom Parker, wishing them a tremendous success in our country. And I think that was very, very nice. And apparently Elvis didn't approve that. The rumor is Tom Parker yeah. did that without Elvis's consent. Oh, sorry, TJ, I'm getting a telegram right now. Hmm. TJ, it seems that Lucille Ball and Ronnie Spector would like their names removed from famous residents at the Hotel <laughs> Del Monaco. <laughs> TJ, what's great about the DVD set, this four complete Ed Sullivan show DVDs, which is that's I how have I have that one too. Do you have it? Yeah, this is how I watched Mine's it. Mine's in purple. Came out in 03, I think. Mine's oh. got a purple cover. They had all different covers. Is that right? Yeah. Mine's yeah. kind of a brown kind of. Mm. <laughs> Mrs. Brown. Mrs. Daughter, you've got a lovely brown. <laughs> Call back from last week. What's great about the DVDs, though, is that you also get the commercials, which is kind of fun to me. So Sullivan teases the Beatles, and then you get this arrow shave commercial. And last Sunday, the, of course, the never-to-be-forgotten teaming on our stage of Sammy Davis Jr. and Ella Fitzgerald. Now, tonight, the whole country is waiting to hear England's Beatles, and you're going to hear them... And they're tremendous ambassadors of goodwill after this commercial. One man uses AeroShave, the other a leading lather. And then Griffin Liquid Wax, black polish. Griffin shines bright like a new layer of leather. And credit to Ed Sullivan, who mentions the previous week, Sammy Davis Jr. and Ella Fitzgerald coming on. Let's be clear about this. Two black performers on national television in 1964 and the show com coming out of New York was a massive thing. Think how fucked up things were. You think the CBS affiliate in random small Southern town was thrilled to see Ella and Sammy on stage together performing. So Ed Sullivan mm. yeah. as a white TV host did a lot 
for the presence of black performers on television. And whether that was a conscious choice or whether that was him just kind of going with where he saw the world going, he deserves certainly some credit for that. So you have two black performers and then the first commercials for white shaving cream and black shoe polish. So this is Ebony and <laughs> Ivory. This is kind of proto <laughs> Ebony and Ivory, basically what's going. <laughs> That's where Paul was influenced. He was watching the commercials backstage. <laughs> <laughs> commercials call me nerves um <laughs> i like that one that's about cars for kids <laughs> you know it's not a bad idea it's kind of catchy may, may, baby you could drive my car for kids well it's the, it's the famous intro we've heard it a billion times i still get kind of a kick watching that intro and the anticipatory screams ed sullivan introing the beatles now yesterday and today our theater's been jammed with newspapermen and hundreds of photographers from all over the nation and these veterans agree with me that the city never has witnessed the excitement stirred by these youngsters from liverpool who call themselves the beatles now tonight you're going to twice be entertained by them right now and again in the second half of our show ladies and gentlemen the Beatles. Let's- Close your eyes and I'll kiss you Tomorrow I'll miss you You're right. I always heard it as one, two, three, four, one. He is saying five. I, the, it's is that not right? a clear five, but you're totally right. I listen with with uh, good headphones, and it's so exciting. And Tony, as seasoned as the Beatles were by American Beatlemania, after all the success in British Beatlemania and all and all over the UK and Europe, and all they worked in Germany. To see their faces, they can sense right from all my loving that something special is happening. One of the most magical things of the video of this is how all four of them are giving various facial expressions of holy shit. Yeah, it's really great to see them with just genuine big ass smiles on their face. It's it's like pure euphoria, uh, not on any kind of artificial high. They're on the insane high of of people and energy and celebration and music maybe they're on the insane high of anison <laughs> <laughs> oh right and pillsbury uh, <laughs> magic muffins dude every pillsbury commercial now granted the edibles help this every pillsbury commercial wanted me to go run to my local grocer and get some <laughs> pillsbury and uh, the Anison, by the way, solves neuralgia and neuritis. <laughs> Which? Oh, yeah. I've got that stuff. I have that, too. Don't shame me. I have that. All my lovers. Yeah, man, it's such a moment, man. All my loving. What a wild, cool choice. I mean, full disclosure, this is not their first time in front of the people in concert. They had a rehearsal they taped, and that was a later episode. Yes. So this is like their, whatever, fifth or sixth song that they're playing in front of people. But it's a different crowd. This is a new crowd who hasn't seen them yet. Right. 
And this performance, as we've mentioned on the show a few times, the magic of Paul and George singing harmonies on the last verse, where Paul is double-tracked on the recording, makes this version... By the way, this song is the only Ed Sullivan song to have ever been officially released on a Beatles compilation on Anthology 1. To date, and some of this is the lack of John Lennon in the audio, which we will get to as we get to the more Lennon-driven songs. Um they haven't released audio officially of the Ed Sullivan show. I've got this bootleg vinyl from 85. I didn't get it to the early nineties called the Beatles conquer America. And it has all the Ed Sullivan <laughs> shows on vinyl. In addition to radio interviews of the time, it's on NEMS records. And this is before I even saw the video in the early nineties. This is how I got to know all these songs. And to date, the only officially released of any of the Beatles on Sullivan is this all my loving that we open with? Close your eyes and I'll kiss you Tomorrow I'll miss you Remember I'll always be true And then while I'm away I'll ride home every day And I'll send all my loving to you All my loving that's cool, man. Yeah, that bootleg's awesome. It's totally an 80s bootleg. It looks like a trapper keeper. It totally does. It <laughs> looks like the Pear Records soundtrack to Beatlemania, only it's yeah. red, not gray. <laughs> yeah, it's a, basically, yeah, graph paper. Totally. Yeah, man. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, I think it's just a great, it's a great song to open with. It's It's got such energy. And it does, it, it, it does establish... Paul, the way things are, it establishes Paul as the leader in America's eyes. John never got over it. <laughs> is that right? This, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, this this is early on in the John and Paul stuff. But the irony is John was the more dominant Beatle in this era. Yeah, he was. And Paul's the one who looks like the lead. It's a very interesting quirk about the early, they're certainly the first Sullivan show. Yeah, for sure. I will say, even though with all the screaming and stuff, though, you can still hear the music. It's good. There's little moments at first where they are quiet. Well, and what's so interesting, Tony, that's such a great point, is when Live the BBC was finally released in 94, I mean, maybe, I know a lot of our listeners probably had Beatles of the Bee bootlegs and all that, but by 94, I was a uh, sophomore in college. I hadn't heard a ton of BBC stuff. So when Live at the BBC came out, that was incredible. And that kind of helped complete the Ed Sullivan show picture because even without the screaming audiences, the Beatles were playing live, in most cases, one take. Yeah. So hearing live Beatles like that without the screams, when all you know is Sullivan and Hollywood Bowl, that BBC stuff, when it officially came out, and some is in front of an audience, but the majority is just live in studio. And the BBC stuff was mind-blowing because it was all the energy without the screams. There were bells on a hill But I never heard them ringing No, I never heard them at all Till there was you They also are pretty well behaved for Till There Was You. Again, Paul. So, like, we get two Pauls in a row here taking the lead vocal. Therefore, the, you know, we're still in the mind of Elvis and who's the leader. And so it's interesting. Yeah, Tony, and to do Till There Was You in the two-hole, hashtag two-hole, batting second, <laughs> this is a song that was a hit from the Music Man written by Meredith Wilson. 
that cast album on Capitol in 59 and 60 was on the top of the charts for months. It's both ironic and brilliant that they choose a musical theater standard in the second slot after All My Loving, which is not a rocker like Satisfaction, still a rocker, but it's not a down and dirty rocker. It's kind of a pop rocker. Right, which hasn't happened yet. Right, which hasn't happened yet. And then you go into Till There Was You, a song that 90% of the parents watching knew. And Ringo's drumming, that kind of samba drumming is intricate. George's solo is fantastic. They're making their own spin on it. They're basing it on the Peggy Lee version, not the version from The Music Man, which doesn't have any of the samba stuff in it. Till there was you But, Tony, this ingratiated the Beatles' two parents without making it seem like they were pandering. That's the beauty of this, is Paul puts his own spin on it. The playing is interesting, and parents are going, okay, who the fuck are these guys? They're dressed nicely, playing show tunes. Maybe they're not as bad as the religious right wants us to believe. Look it up. Look it up. What? How come our shows lately? I'm auditioning for my own MSNBC show. <laughs> you do get it in there <laughs> on MSNBC. It's true, buddy. Billy Graham was crusading against the Beatles from after this debut show. Is that right? They were saying that this was devil music. So what I'm saying is not bullshit. The religious right for a lot of the 70s had the Beatles raising their ankles and the Beatles were the next kind of devil. You could, the, Basically, the Beatles to the religious right were rap music in the 90s to the religious right. Same lineage yeah. of I don't get it, so therefore I gotta hate it. I'm out. <laughs> On MSNBC. Meanwhile, in the audience, though, there's all these girls that are, you know, totally into it. I love the cutaways to all these, like, there's a girl bouncing, there's a girl with binoculars and a button that says kiss me on it. I mean, maybe Billy Graham was on to something, TJ. And if you read Mal Evans' book. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. Yeah, the Beatles weren't exactly saints on the road, you know. I mean, we all knew that, but. Anyway, yeah. (laughs) Well, no, they weren't. And in fairness, there is a tie in here. The girl who wore the button that said kiss me later found the band Sixpence None the Richer and had the 90s hit. (laughs) There you go. That's how influential this night was. (laughs) Forget forget about Dave Grohl's Sixpence None the Richer at a rom-com hit with kiss me. This is also Tony in the video where they're showing all their names. Yeah, and they the get supers. Their, the supers, and they get their close-up moments. And Ringo's a little bit embarrassed. George is smiling. And then, oh, my goodness, when John comes on, it says, sorry, girls, he's married. And in parentheses, it should say, <laughs> and also, don't give a fuck. <laughs> right. I'm not advocating it. I'm merely reporting on John Lennon's activities while married. Yeah, it's true. And all of them for that matter. So he's, yeah, he was, it was all of them, FYI. Well, all I'm saying is I just want to look back and say that I did it the best I could while I was stuck in this place. Played as hard as I could when I was stuck in this place. Dogged as many chicks as I could when I was stuck in this place. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Premature ejaculation. (laughs) And then they go to She Loves You. 
Again, so this is, yeah, this is where now it's very noticeable that John's vocal is just buried. It's too low in the mix. And he's still standing front downstage left. He's still ahead of the Beatles. Yeah. But in the mix, this is, I call this She Loves You, parentheses, Paul's solo version. It's an right. energetic performance, but it's it's almost as dumb as Paul doing Ebony and Ivory by himself on the 12-inch. <laughs> and that's almost as dumb as Paul and Hamish Stewart doing the two white people singing Ebony and Ivory together on Trip of the Life Fantastic. Solo She Loves You by Paul is kind of stupid. It's It sounds great, but I want to hear John's voice. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know who's doing the... It's a live thing. I don't know who's doing the mix. But it did seem like, you know, maybe they don't know, like, oh, it's supposed to be this, like, harmonies. We're all supposed to hear them. And, you know, we're all learning about this brand new group that, what, there's not just one leader? Huh? I should have put that guy's microphone level up. <laughs> totally. The sound guy's, ah, it's one guy anyway. We'll get yeah. to the cute guy, the cute one. <laughs> Tony... The audience shots during She Loves You of the white girls clapping on the one and three is where <laughs> soccer moms came from. <laughs> this is this is the beginning of the Sarah Palin era are the <laughs> shots of Nixon's daughters clapping on the one and three and thinking they're right. You're wrong. <laughs> exactly. I think I think you nailed it on the head right there. Like, no, we're doing this right. Ones and threes. It's like, no, twos and fours. Can we all get on the same page? It's two and four. Huh? <laughs> what? But one's first. <laughs> <laughs> right. Can't argue with that. Can you live? Owned. <laughs> yeah. One, three. <laughs> Those first three songs, those first three songs were dedicated to Johnny Carson, Randy Parr, and Earl Wilson. I want to take a minute to talk about this guitar John's playing, man. Yeah. So, yeah, he got it in Germany. It's a 58 Rickenbacker 325, serial number V81, TJ. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so this is, a, this is kind of a wild guitar. And it was a rare model at the time. The 325 was made, yeah, in the late 50s, and it was being taken around at all the guitar trade shows. It was not a hit. And that's how it ended up kind of randomly at the uh, Steinway Music Store in Hamburg when John walked into a shop, knew what Rickenbackers were, American guitars. He wanted an American guitar. And yeah, he just fell in love with the sight of it. And originally it was a natural maple finish. He had somebody paint it black. And this model was on the verge of being extinct until this night. John Lennon's playing a weird little sh hollow body, no F-hole, short scale guitar, uh, painted black, <laughs> you know, which you couldn't get it from the store that way. Right. And now Rickenbacker's got, ah, got to make these. And same with Ludwig Drum Company. And George is playing a 62 Gretsch Countryman. And let's not, of course, forget the Hofner bass. 
all of which sounds so good mixed for television. And even though John's vocals aren't mixed as well, his rhythm guitar is mixed high and it sounds great. His triplets yeah, and all my love. And we didn't talk about dominate the song. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those fast triplets. He was a great rhythm player and he knew it. That was his jam. He was great at everything. His lead stuff was yeah. great when he played lead, just like Paul. Paul could play great lead guitar. They could all, they were all <laughs> fucking great. George played bass. Paul played drums. I love the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> Sue played nothing. We love you Beatles. Oh yes, we do. We love you Beatles. And we be true. When you're not me to us, we're blue. Oh Beatles, we love you. Yeah, 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 yeah. TJ, I think it's time you, you take a break and have an Anison to help out the pain pain depression pain the pain tension pain anxiety the swelling pain fatigue the pain 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 yeah i will tell you something though that commercial um <laughs> if, if i could do it it'd be the same messaging but for a good sativa fuck anison sativa's better and makes <laughs> the halblane drums sound good and hear the beatles tell all i recommend sativa <laughs> for my anison <laughs> It's also funny when Ed, throws, Ed Sullivan throws to the commercial, he goes, you promised, as if he's like scolding yeah. his teenage daughters <laughs> to pay attention. And they're so upset during the announcement for Oliver. <laughs> they don't want Oliver. They want more Beatles, Tony. Now, they'll be back in the second half of the show after you've enjoyed Georgia Brown, the star of Oliver. Tessie O'Shea, one of the stars, the girl who came to supper. They do, and they're going to have to wait because we've got some acts in between the two performances. Boy, we do. This first one, I, the first time I saw it, I kept thinking, this looks like it was from a different thing, and it was recorded earlier at a different time. Yes. So the first act, if it feels like it's not part of it, it's because it wasn't part of the original running order of the show. Indeed, man. Fred Caps, he does a card trick and a salt shaker trick. He was a Dutch magician and he won the Magic Grand Prix three times. He's also a member of the Magic Hall of Fame there in uh, Cooperstown, TJ. Pretty controversial. Have you seen his wins over replacement? <laughs> sure thing, he's got a lot of doubles, but his wars for shit. War is an overarching statistic that takes into account many different facets of a player's game and puts them all down into one formula where we can measure just how good a player is above a replacement level player. And then now it's time for another live act, the cast of Oliver. I'd do anything for you, dear, anything for you, mean everything to me. I know that I'd go anywhere. Who is that? Who's, who's playing the Artful Dodger? Who's playing that lovable pickpocket singing, I'll do anything for you, TJ? Would that be future monkey Davy Jones or future Genesis drummer Phil Collins? <laughs> the correct answer is Davy Jones. <laughs> it's pretty cool that a future monkey is on the same Ed Sullivan show as the Beatles. It's kind of neat. I heard somewhere, yeah, that when the Beatles came on and Davy Jones heard those screams... He was like, I want in on that action. You know, I want some of that. Well, the original now and then is that was then, this is now. <laughs> <laughs> From 86. 
Yeah, you know, Tony, I, I love Oliver. Actually, Oliver's weird. The guy who composed it, Lionel Bart, it's almost like a weird one-hit Broadway wonder. Oliver was a hit in London, I think, in 1960, finally came to the States in 63 and was a huge hit. I actually saw the revival of it in um, London in in the late 90s at the London Palladium with this huge huh. production. The guy who produced... Uh, Les Mis, Cameron McIntosh, produced Revival of Oliver, and it was kind of like seeing an old musical with new, weirdo, cool technology, at least new for the 90s. It's a great score. Consider Yourselves a great song. They do two of the big hits from here, I'd Do Anything, and The Big Ballad, As Long As He Needs Me. And this, to me, this is the musical theater I like. I love the orchestra arrangements. Both songs end with that timpani orchestral swell. I love that stuff. So it's cool that... Oliver, a British musical is featured and not like an American show or not something that feels anachronistic from it. It feels part and parcel to the Beatles having that on the show. I, I think it's great. I'm biased because I love musicals, but I, I think the Oliver stuff's really cool. My heart will stay You're saying that the British invasion would not have happened without the cast of Oliver. No, I think I think the first true British rock song is Um Pa Pa. <laughs> and I all suppose what they want to suppose when they hear Um Pa Pa. British rock at its finest, CJ. <laughs> um, yeah, then Ed has something for you ladies. But first, here's something really new for you ladies. Now... Listen. This is Bob Warren with news of a revolutionary liquid detergent discovery. New cold water all. Uh, you know, yeah. Okay. Tony, this is bullshit <laughs> and misogyny. Where are you with laundry? I do. I do it. I'm actually the laundry guy. I am too. I love doing laundry. Laundry is one too. of the single biggest reasons to take edibles because edibles make menial <laughs> tasks feel like accomplishments and folding warm laundry it's the new going to the mall you look i got clean fucking clothes i'm gonna put it on a hanger yeah. i, I genuinely love right it's everything that dishes aren't i love doing laundry the untitled beatles podcast will come to your laundry for you at a certain level of patreon just make yeah. sure every, nothing's soiled <laughs> we don't want just despite the wings over America track. We don't want anything soily. <laughs> soily, no. That's why we use new cold water all. Uh, it's pretty misogynistic, Tony. It, it's a classic fifties. Yeah. Hey, women. Yeah. It is that. It's yeah. This show is in black and white, man. It was a while ago. <laughs> How come Ted Turner didn't put this show in color? <laughs> yeah, Ted. I bet he was too busy fucking Jane Fonda. <laughs> How dare you stick it in Hanoi, Jane? Teddy's gonna see you through. <laughs> yeah, man. Then we get Frank Gorshin when he was doing his stand-up and his impressions and stuff. Pre-Batman. So, yeah, he was the Riddler in Batman. TJ, he was in That Darn Cat. Mm -hmm. He's, he was a special guest on Ironside, Wonder Woman, Fall Guy, to name just a few. I read, man, that he started doing impressions when he was a teenage usher. Peace up. Peace up. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah, bam, 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 bam. 
I was a teenage usher. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, this guy is my generation's Bobby Lee. His impressions. <laughs> Bobby B. Bobby Five. Taking care of my lady. Hate the Dave Clark Five. I like the Bobby Five from Mad TV. Dude, this what I love is he is so prescient when he's like, Huh, you ever wonder what it'd be like when a TV personality gets into politics? I'm like, this yeah. guy predicted Reagan, Fred Grandy, and Trump 20 years before it happened. He totally did. Yeah, man. Yeah, you could throw Al Franken in there, too. Yeah. Uh, Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> Great. I loved him as governor of Minnesota. He was insane. I thought that was a cool era in American politics. Schwarzenegger. Yes. Well, it's election year, and once again, a lot of the Hollywood, Hollywood stars will be out campaigning for the candidates of both parties. Well, a funny thing occurred to me. What if these stars should suddenly decide to run for these offices themselves? They'd have no trouble getting votes because of their popularity. In just a short time, the stars will be running the country. Right. So, like, yeah, he basically did, like, a comedy routine that predicted the future it's like that movie idiocracy <laughs> totally that that that's a great comp um i kept thinking hey, he goes it's an election year and because i love america i kept thinking shut up and dribble gorshin <laughs> <laughs> shut up and contort Right. <laughs> no, but he contorts his body into all these crazy shapes it's, it's great and it's a, he's a hit with the kids too he's a master of like yeah physical comedy it's vaguely offensive. There's a few moments in there like you can't do Gorshin because I, I joke about Bobby Lee, the great friend of the program, Bobby Lee, I think. <laughs> but who's like, who is the guy? Frank Caliendo is the mad TV guy who does all the impressions. And the guy before him was, who's the impression guy who did Vegas for Fred Travelina? Oh, Rich Little? Rich Little, Rich Little, not Fred Travelina, Rich Little. Rich Little's VCR charades game, the fun new way to keep your friends guessing for hours. Look for it where fine games are sold. But, I mean, some of his bits are great. Like, I mean, I couldn't tell Roger Crawford was offensive. The Dean Martin bit's kind of funny. He goes, I'd like to thank all the liquor dealers all over the world for helping me to get as high as I am today. That's a ballsy bit in early 64. Yeah, man. I feel like he hits his stride when he starts doing Brando, Burt Lancaster, and then Kirk Douglas. And then he closes with Sir Alec Guinness. Why don't we call in our foreign ambassador, Sir Alec Guinness? Sir Alec Guinness is truly a smart man. Hey, what have you got to say about all this? Smart Alec. Perfect opportunity to do a Obi-Wan Kenobi joke. Yes, I, don't, I don't know why right. he didn't do it. Why did he have a falling out with <laughs> Lucas in 64? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny. And then at the end, Ed Sullivan goes, he kind of makes a look at his face like, well, see, that was very funny. <laughs> like Ed Sullivan was being very approving after he was done. Yeah. Do, do you think Frank Gorshin, because obviously the, ma the magician, um, was on live on tape, but do you think Frank Gorshin was like, I got to follow the Beatles? Um, do you think he was aware of the Beatles? I think he was more like, oh shit, I got to follow the cast of Oliver. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, true. They look like they got a famous kid who going to be famous one day doing a copy of a comedy version of the band we just saw. I can't follow them. <laughs> No, I feel like he, yeah, he's, you know, he's old school. I think he's, 
you could tell he's polished. This bit is this bit is polished. Yeah, and he he hit it out of the park. He he did a good job. I mean, for what his material was, you know. How many fabs do you give Frank Gorshin? <laughs> I mean, as a performer, yeah, uh, four, four. You know, fours reserved for Tessie O'Shea. You animal. Gorshin gets two and a half fabs. <laughs> And Tony, I know nobody, now folks, I'm going to blow a, a big secret Tony fact for a minute. Uh-oh. Nobody knows or cares more about Olympic trivia than Tony. So I can only imagine how emotional you were when they cut to world champion Terry McDermott. Terry McDermott, who was just congratulated by President Lyndon Johnson. Would you stand up there and take a bow? Terry. Terry McDermott. Well... I know him as the Essexville Rocket, okay? <laughs> Essexville, Michigan's where he's from. He's a speed skater. He's in the Speed Skating Hall of Fame, TJ. I know. In Cooperstown adjacent. Cooperstown and Jason. <laughs> and Jason and Freddie and Pinhead. They're all there. He's got pins in his head. I will say this, man. I know mm-hmm. that this guy, Terry McDermott, took a picture pretending to cut Paul's hair backstage. To cut his gorgeous locks. Yes, I've seen that, yeah. With all the other Beatles like in horror. Oh. It's a funny picture. You know who else has um gorgeous locks is Kaufman's Deli on Dempster and Skokie. <laughs> oh, oh, we have a new sponsor. <laughs> I, I wish. What does Shanda gotta do to get a free room? But I'm local famous. <laughs> Kaufman's best matzo ball soup. Damn it. Damn it. Now let's get to Tessie O'Shea. She was great, man. I agree with you. You quite liked her, right? She's a famous music hall entertainer since, you know, childhood, the wonder of Wales. Going to be honest, this is the kind of performing and entertainment that I just love. Even before she picked up the ukulele, and my thought is George Harrison's watching this drooling. Yeah. I mean, they obviously know who she is because she's from Wales. But, you know, a lot of people credit the George Ukulele thing to George Formby. No, no, no. It's Tessie O'Shea on the first night of their (laughs) Sullivan show. I think she's so good. I mean, and she's doing Gershwin. Then she sings the tender tree. You know what she is? She's like interesting, talented Susan Boyle. Oh, (laughs) I forgot about Susan Boyle. Yeah. She was also Miss Hobday in Bedknobs and Broomsticks, TJ. Yeah, you're right. You want to see more of her work. Yeah. How come she wasn't in Pete's Dragon? <laughs> yeah, she, I love when she does Two Ton Tessie from Tennessee. Yeah, man. They call her Two Ton Tessie from Tennessee. How six dollars is on her knee. When she does all the fun Tennis on a double chins. She was hit on the railroad track. The engine struck her and bounced right back. Her appendix had to come out fast. They couldn't operate, oh boy, they had to blast. They called it two tons. You know, actually, I agree with you, but I definitely prefer the banana splits version. Everything my mama got is king size. Only for the siren whistle. That's why I prefer it. Well, that's why you, you're, you're a big siren whistle person. I love when she says, oh, this will be sexy. She gets a great laugh on that. And <laughs> yeah. for a minute, like, I'm thinking, is that fake banjo playing? And then I'm like, no, man, that's real butter. No. With real <laughs> butter already spread inside. All from Pillsbury. She rips, man. She, she does. She rips. Yeah, she's she's a, a delight. So she, yeah, really given the energy, it's great. 
Uh, it would have been great if the Beatles followed that energy. Not that they needed it. Uh, but then we cut to... Uh, Aye, a sketch. <laughs> a, 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 a two-person sketch. It's McCall and Brill. Um, it's Mitzi mm. McCall and her husband, Charlie Brill. There's a great This American Life segment all about their brush with John Lennon and their whole experience on the show. Episode 281 called My Big Break. The segment is Take My Break, Please. And there's this guy standing there with f- funny hair. While he's talking to us, he takes out of his pocket a napkin and a pen, and he's drawing me. He's looking at me, and mm-hmm. he's drawing me. Mm-hmm. That's nice. And he did some, some pictures of me and Mitzi on, this, on napkins. All we thought about was, I wish this kid would go so we could yeah. work on we, our act. We haven't, Get out we of here. So it's great. I highly recommend it. But yeah, yeah, they yeah they don't go over well. It's it's sketch comedy, and if you listen to the episode, it's sketch comedy that they had to tweak last minute per Ed Sullivan. <laughs> well, I didn't know that, but the joke about the Beatles gets their biggest laugh. Hi, sir. I'm the next young lady's mother. My name yeah. is Rose. Well, how do you do? My little girl is waiting outside. You know, she used to be one of the Beatles. Well, what happened? Somebody what? stepped on her. Yes. Yes, which you know was improvised. Yeah. Yeah. They get a huge laugh with the Beatles reference. It's like when you're doing improv on stage and you're dying, and then somebody says Schomburg, and then the whole crowd goes, Yes! Ha 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 ha! And you get them back. Schomburg within the tri state area is all you need to pull a laugh in a dying improv scene. Yes, (laughs) yes, and yes. Yes, and TJ. Yes, and, yes, and, yes, and. But this is no, Tony, you and I have been involved in sketch comedy for ages. Some would say that we're our generations, Colbert and Carell. Thank you. And you're welcome. Well, thank you for thanking. And this is a, not a well-written scene. It feels like a bad talent show impersonation in Nichols and May, who are geniuses. And I've got a couple of their albums, original Compass Players, Second City People. God bless McCall, Christy McCall and Christy McCullough. I'm not sure who these people are. But this is unsuccessful <laughs> sketch comedy. Yeah, one Mitzi. one fab. Go back and talk to Gelman. <laughs> Demand your money back. Ask for Norm Holly next term because y'all suck. <laughs> wow, you really you really giving it to him. I do think they're still alive, so I'm sorry for. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I take it back. One of those interviews went finally kills him. Although their career was the Ed Sullivan Show. No, I haven't heard the the episode of all things must pass considered but i will absolutely <laughs> say that like while these people tried and they swung for the fences they missed he gone, he gone. <laughs> yeah i mean it's also just poor scheduling i think it's hard to it's hard to follow tessie o'shea big energy music with yeah like a, you know an office sketch that's kind of massage well that's very misogynistic. But Mitzi gets to do 11 through the door. So, you know, she, <laughs> she later did a bunch of voice work. And yeah, so she's she's been, she's still, I think she's still kicking and at it. Yes, sir. I'm going to have to cancel the picture, Miss Tidy, because I just can't find the type of actress I'm looking for. Oh, and the part dear. was so good. All I was looking for was a happy girl. <laughs> a very happy girl. <laughs> But sometimes she's sad, she's not happy all the time, but then she gets happy again. Yes, the whole picture takes place in Sweden. We're in Sweden. Tony, this is also every Second City sketch from 1959 to 1987. <laughs> 
Sorry, TJ. McCall and Brill didn't invent pinata full of bees. <laughs> Citizens of the United States of America, you are accused of crimes against humanity. This will no longer be tolerated. Tonight, America, you will pay. Well, finally, TJ, the Beatles are back. Oh my God, we had to wait forever. I peed the seats. <laughs> I want a streamy. I, sp- I peed my seat. And the award for best streamy while waiting for the Beatles to reappear based on volume of urine, Tony Mendoza. I was also here for sexual excitement. I want to thank sexual excitement for soiling my seat 25%. And sexual chocolate for soiling the other side. Yeah, Tony, this is wonderful here. I mean, they performed some of their biggest hits. They performed the B-side and the A-side of the single that broke them through, which is they open with a... I love when Ed Sullivan says, once again, the crowd goes nuts and he can't even get the phrase, the Beatles out. And they go right yeah. into, I saw her standing there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, once again... It's a reminder, and they would do this boy, I think, in the following week's episode, but like the United States got lucky to have an A and B side be I Want to Hold Your Hand and I Saw Her Standing There. It is a way better single than I Want to Hold Your Hand and This Boy. I'm just saying it. For sure, man. For sure. Yeah, again, the excitement is back. Yeah, this is where we're cutting to a girl just bouncing in her seat. I love all the cutaway shots, especially the styles and all that, but also just that genuine excitement. They're just entranced by this huge force of joy and rock and roll and sex and all that stuff. And, you know, gearhead crap. There's a nice close-up of uh, George's guitar. You see that Gretsch logo on the pick guard there. Yeah. Gearheads are going Gretsch, Ludwig, Rickenbacker, that funny-looking violin bass. You know, got to get that. What? McCartney sings about a Gretsch in what solo song? Ooh, that's our Beatles trivia. Tenth caller right now. Three nine one. Talk more talk. It's talk <laughs> more talk. It took me a minute. From Press to Plays, talk more talk. TJ, you're the winner. You win tickets to the Demolition Derby this year. I'll sip. All right, I'm going to go watch cars beat each other up and then people beat each other up after the show. Who do you like more, Eddie or Jobo? Let's fight. Yeah. What do you like more, TJ? I saw her standing there or I want to hold your hand? 
Well, the one thing I love about I saw her standing there, Tony, is right before Georgia's solo, one of my favorite moments, and I've seen this video many times. I think I only caught it when I was really studying it for this episode. Right before Georgia's solo, John, Paul, and George, John and Paul on mic, all three let out a huge scream that just That's kicks exciting. off Georgia's solo that is so organic and exciting. Ringo's subtle drum shifts, John's driving rhythm, the whole thing works. I, I know you love, here's a, a slight Tony TJ disagreement. Am I correct that you like the short version of this, whereas I miss the repeat of the bridge? Because this is the short version. They go right into while well, we dance through the night instead of while well, my heart went boom. Right. You know what? It's the twist and shout. I prefer the, sh I like the, that in and out quick live 1966 twist and shout. I like that. Right. <laughs> 65 actually. Yeah. 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 Like the way they do it at Shea. Yes, the, the, when they open, yeah, they're the shorter one. Because I, I like longer I saw her standing there, I think, and it makes me think to remember, I don't know where this came from, that when Ringo was going to sing Liverpool 8 on Regis and Kelly, they told him he had to do a short version, and he said, I won't do it, and he walked off the set. <laughs> this isn't the peace and love days. Or Ring They're like, hey, man, you got to do a short version, and Ringo's like, nope, I was a sailor first, and then he walked off. It's a great, sad, mid-2000s Ringo TV moment. I'm positive. I think I, I didn't make that. that up. I'm warning you with peace and love. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, this is great, but of course the I want to hold your hand. I mean, this could not be more rapturously received. It is the biggest response of the night when these chords begin. This is the song that ushered in Beatlemania. It was number one. Yeah, for the U.S. For, for yeah. the U.S., yeah. I want to hold your hand is the U.S. version of She Loves You, basically. Yes. The song that just... <laughs> Couldn't escape. Hundred percent. And this was absolutely all over the airwaves. Talk about the national recovery for Kennedy's assassination. And it's funny. I think the fact that Paul sings lead on all of this because of John's mic. This is why their legal issues right. continued through the through the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> Not because Paul was making more in the Capitol releases, but because he was the lead vocalist of "I Want to Hold Your Hand." Oh yeah. I mean, it does. It, again, it does kind of cement, I think, the American bias towards Paul early on. Yeah. Because he was the cute one or whatever, you know? Well, but a lot of the women loved Ringo the most. One of the great scenes in Hard Day's Night when they're when they're in the hotel and they uh, Norman Shake dump the huge bag of fan mail for Ringo to sign. Ringo's clearly got the yeah. most. Like we forget, there was a time early on where Ringo was the most beloved Beatle. I'm sure that made Pete feel great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was hard for oh, Pete. Goodness, he got over it though. Eventually, it took a long time. He's doing. Okay. I've grown to love him more. And one of the great stories, again, from a book we cite here quite a bit, the Peter Doggett, You Never Give Me Your Money book, was where I learned that he cleared a million dollars finally when Anthology was released because of the songs he played on wow. being officially released. So it took Pete Best many years, but I was happy to know that at least Anthology finally made him some money as being part of the story. Yeah, that's cool. That is cool. 
I will say I dig that flyover crane shot during the middle eight of I Want to Hold Your Hand. It flies over the guitars into a single of Ringo and then back out again as it, the song gets back into the verse. When I touch you, I feel happy inside. Tony, in between that, there's an audience reaction shot, and then going from that crane shot of Ringo to the full shot of the band is magical. I love it, too. It's It's so wonderful, and one of the most exciting songs they ever put on record. Now, there's also a mom in there. There's like an older-looking woman that's just digging it, which that was cool to see to me. Uh, I mean, she was like a happening New York-looking mom oh yeah but she didn't look like a a 14 year old do you know what i mean i use google images to find her she's 85 and dying (laughs) and it ain't gonna stop me (laughs) you want to hear you want to hear my cover of this boy (laughs) see you at the nursing home sweets Then they, they take their bow during all the crazy madness. I love this part where Ed invites them over. Like, yeah, come over here by me. You expect to hear some kind of interview, but I, people are just screaming, you know. Yeah, and it's a great moment because the Beatles, one of the things I love about when it brings them over, Tony, they don't look bigger than the moment. They look happy and flattered and grateful and energetic. They're they're not like pulling a too cool for school thing. They're the moment with Ed Sullivan and the way Ed talks about them is incredibly ingratiating. Right, yeah. And then he's like, okay, guys. And then they just kind of trot back off. <laughs> I also like how they just dump their guitars on the floor. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no guitar stands or anything. That's a, a proto Pete Townsend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I blame Mal, to be quite honest. <laughs> Mal and Magic Alex. Yeah, Tony. And then in one of the worst moments in television history, uh, one of the most disastrous moments in the history of the medium, there's eight minutes left in the episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And thanks the NYPD and then introduces Wells in the four phase. But I tell you what, if you've got to follow that, at least it was something fun. This is acrobatic physical comedy. Well, Tony, while I don't encourage THE for listeners who might not be into it, if you do take a few edibles before this, if you time the beginning of this act to the Beatles' love version of Drive My Car, What You're Doing, and The Word, it makes perfect (laughs) sense, my guy. It is the Beatles' Dark Side of the Moon, Wizard of Oz. Trust me. (laughs) Thank you, Cresco Labs. Tony, tell me about the woman who gets dragged around with her legs. Oh, my up. God. That was crazy. All right. Yeah. So th- this is an Australian vaudeville troupe. They had a residency in Vegas. I will say this, TJ. At one point, Tony Basil was a member of this troupe. 
from Mickey, you're so fine. Well, some and shopping A to Z. I was just gonna. Some of us know where shopping A to Z. A, apple, B, banana, D, dog fruit. What is? What's dog fruit? I think they say dog fruit. Oh, you're right. You're right. Just dog fruit came. Dog, dog fruit is something I don't want to see, man. That is definitely something I don't want to see. Why are you dog and fruit, guy? I just see it as like a dog trying to lift weight and can't lift, and something happens. Its anus implodes. Uh, I don't need to see that. I don't need to see that. <laughs> Well, let me answer your question, mm-hmm. TJ. Please. So the the matriarch of the group at one point lays down on like a you know like a board, one of those like a long dentist's chair or something, and these two women take her ankles and start running in opposite directions in circles, <laughs> carrying her legs. So her legs it looks like if your clock went nuts and it's on the fritz. And the, the hour hand is going one way and the minute hand's going the other way. Her legs are doing that. Uh-huh. That's what that bit is. That's, that's maybe that dog fruit you were referring to earlier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say, yeah, if they have to close a show, if you have to follow the Beatles, it might as well be something crazy like that. Well, you wonder if Guy Liberté was watching and that's what gave him the Cirque du Soleil thing. And then George, <laughs> this is all a Beatle connected episode. <laughs> yeah. This is where love started right here. Yeah. With the, with the bit with the legs. <laughs> <laughs> it's twisting. I'm telling you, put on, put on the remix, a uh, Hey Bulldog with Lady Madonna. It makes sense. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then, of course, you go to, well, first of all, he plugs Mitzi Gaynor a bunch and the Beatles. I think they're clapping for Mitzi Gaynor next week. I think they're excited that Mitzi Gaynor is going to be on. But they're clapping for both Mitzi Gaynor and the Beatles. And then, Tony, they go to a commercial for Pillsbury Fudge, Rich, Moist, Chewy. Their logo says Best XXXX. Does that say <laughs> Best 40 to you? <laughs> <laughs> No, because 40 is XL. Then what are 4Xs? And why you got to mock people who wear XL? (laughs) TJ, you know what quadruple X is. (laughs) Yeah, man. He comes back. There's a final goodbye. I love that Sullivan says that the audience was fine despite severe provocation. First of all, I want to congratulate you. You've been a fine audience despite severe provocation. Yeah, a, a, a writer or producer clearly told him to say it, but it's a light line. He laughs it off. Yeah. And then next Sunday, Miami Beach, Mitzi Gaynor, Myron Cohn, Allie and Rossi. Sounds like the guests at my bar mitzvah. <laughs> and then I love he says, get home safely. Good night. He's talking to the 85 people in the audience, not the 73 million watching on. T- Was it snowing that night? George Harrison is a great line. I think it's George in anthology where he talks about yeah. how it was the lowest reported crime in New York City history because everybody was watching Ed Sullivan. He even the criminals. Even the criminals had a rest for for like ten minutes while we were on. You'd have to be pretty ballsy to interrupt. You know, I want to hold your hand. Can you imagine breaking into that that house they show in the Beatles, the first U.S. visit, where the family's watching on the black and white TV, and a criminal <laughs> yeah. breaking in? 
<laughs> Give me all your money. Not now. They're doing the Music Man's Till There Was You. I've only heard the Robert <laughs> Preston version. I want to hear how this young Paul sings it. <laughs> what do you mean that's a boy? <laughs> they think your uh, haircuts are un-American. Well, it was very observant of them because we aren't American, actually. <laughs> true, that. True, true. Yeah, Tony, it, it is one of the most important moments in the history of rock on television. And much like the movie A Hard Day's Night, this first Ed Sullivan show to me is one of the most exhilarating and happy moments in Beatle history. As much as I love mid-period Beatles, mid's probably my favorite the early exuberance of the Ed Sullivan run and the hard day's night are very difficult to match from a sheer energy standpoint. Yeah. And the influence it had on to this day, let's say, you know, decades and decades, like how many bands came out of this one night and these four guys. You see the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show in 64. The Beatles, that looked like something that could be done to me. They're self-contained. They're making music that they wrote themselves. And they look like they're really good friends and they're having a lot of fun. And I'll bet they're not worried about Brad either, you know? Yes, and Tony, to your point, in the 2020s, BTS did a tribute to the Beatles, Ed Sullivan look. Boy Genius, a band I love when they were on SNL, the, the Phoebe Bridgers band, did um, a salute to when they performed Not Strong Enough. Uh, they designed the SNL set to look like Ed Sullivan. This is in 2023, hearkening back to 1964, whether it's Springsteen or Dave Grohl. We make fun a lot of every Beatle documentary having Dave Grohl and Questlove talking about the Beatles and Ringo. God bless. It is great that rockers and current artists love the Beatles, but so many will tell you. I think uh, John Cougar will tell you that the Beatles and Ed Sullivan heart Anna Nancy Wilson, this particular show made rock palatable, made it accessible, and the fact the Beatles were as charming as they were. I mean, other than Till There Was You, it's all their own songs, Tony, written by the people singing them. That in itself was an unheard of thing. So yeah, it is awesome how well this is held up. And I want to say real quick, the DVD that you and I have from 2003 after the the video fades out, they go to generic DVD music showing Andrew Salt, the executive producer who also directed the Imagine Doc, and it goes into a Star Search type movie theme song. Neil Aspinall gets a special thanks. It shows the Ed Sullivan website, but Tony, the music is so incongruous because they follow up in the early 2000s with 70s music. It's the dumbest way to end the DVD. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I hear it as like 80s music or whatever, but yeah, I know what L you mean. Listen like, to the it's chorus. Like, it's a TV it's, theme. It's, yeah, it's that PM Magazine saxophone <laughs> library drivel music. Yeah, I mean, this is how you can watch and get those DVDs. I got mine on eBay somewhere or however it was. Maybe they have it on Discogs. I have no idea. Um, but they're out there, and I'm so glad they are. I'm so glad somehow they were able to secure the rights because a lot of the a lot of this stuff's hard to find. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Well, and it's been reissued since our pressing, Tony. There is the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. The Complete Shows has a different cover. I think the late, I, I don't own it, but like late 2000, maybe 09 or 2010, they think have a cleaned up version of it. But one of the gifts is having the original commercials. And I got to be honest, when I'm streaming old shows, and sometimes it's fun to stream like a, or you see like the Jeffersons or some old fun TV show. I think they should stream with the original commercials of the 80s shows too. It's half the fun is these old shows like an Ed Sullivan show hold up better when you get the context of the era, which for better or for worse includes all the advertisements. Yeah. I don't know how they worked out the rights to that, but I guess they did. I don't know. It's, it's yeah, it's cool. Did you own a CD? Because this is you. I think you probably did. The, the TV tunes people behind television's greatest oh, yeah. hits on TVT records had an album of all old school commercials I had on CD in the late eighties. Yeah, I got it in when I worked radio, and there were only three volumes at that time. Uh, but I didn't high school though. I did buy. That's right. I bought the cassette of the seventies and eighties one in high school, and yeah. I used to play that in my car. Uh, my 81 Buick Skylark that was uh, eventually died <laughs> <laughs> one day on the way home from school. Oh, no. I had, to, I had to abandon it on the side of the road. He gone. He gone. He gone. But I used to, I used to have a boombox in there in which I would play <laughs> that, the television's greatest hits. Yeah, it was great. It was great shit. Barney Miller, you know, we could go on and on. <laughs> There's one they made, though, I think after volume three, that is TV tunes, the commercials, and it's like a hundred commercials oh, yeah. on a CD. That's right. They had that one, too. Yes, I forgot All about from that kind one. of this era. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's wild. Well, there you go, man. 60 years. Historic Beatles performance. I mean, everyone. Yeah, you know the impact. You're a fan. You get it. It's just fun to see and relive over and over again. It is, Tony, and we want to thank you for watching this local PBS affiliate. And if you call the number listed below and make a donation, we'll send you the DVDs of the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, remembering magical times from when most of you were dead. <laughs> Untitled Beatles Podcast. Like and subscribe. Speaking of audio streamer, this is for the incontinent kids. <laughs> <laughs> this is a callback <laughs> for all you girls. This is a callback to earlier <laughs> comedy. This one goes out to all the incontinent girls all over the world. <laughs> the girls who can hold their pee in all over the world. <laughs> blue, blue, With that music, blue, blue, blue. blue. <laughs>